tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Michael Vandervoort, and it's a Thursday night episode of Drive Through HR. We've been calling these jokingly the quarantini episodes, and uh, this is number three. Um, I expected Robin to be here, but she's not, and she didn't respond to my uh, text message, so I'm assuming something has come up. So she may join us, uh, you know, at, later in the show. We'll see if she does. We'll, we'll do a greeting, but... Um, since it's uh, April 9th and uh, Thursday night, we're going to jump right into uh, a half an hour or so of discussion with our guest, who is an HR practitioner based in New York uh, named Taylor Bradley. Taylor, welcome to Drive Through HR. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, and thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, I, I want to I do a little sort of record correction of the record. Um, I had put out a tweet or I guess a Facebook post earlier in the week where I said that Taylor had been uh, been on a ship, which was a true statement, and that he had done HR on a ship that, that was called the Diamond Princess. And it was a ship that was owned by Princess Lines and was, was quarantined in Japan in, in the early, it, earlier this year. I uh, mistakenly read that when we first started talking that Taylor was on the ship while it was quarantined, and that was incorrect. So he and I clear, clarified that in a conversation I made the other day pre-show. So while he was not on the quarantine ship, at, or at, he was not on the ship at the time that it was quarantined, he actually served as a medical and HR officer on that um, on that ship um, in in times past. And so we're gonna we're gonna kind of talk about that's like, but I just want to make sure everybody's aware that um, if you read that, that was uh, an erroneous assumption on my part and wanted to get that clarified. So, so Taylor, I'm sorry for that. Usually we don't do corrections of the record right at the gate, but, you know, I just want to make sure everybody had the right expectation as they listen in. Um, yeah. Tell us uh, for the benefit of our listeners, any that may be with us live and we get a lot of, sh- get a lot of listens from downloads. Tell us um, who you are and what you do. It's a, you, you've had a pretty interesting HR career, I think. <laughs> thank you. And uh, again, thank you for having me on. Uh, my name's Taylor Bradley, and I am currently a director, HR business partner of global product development at Gatto, which is a uh, SaaS company based in Norwalk, Connecticut, though I work and live in uh, downtown Manhattan. And so it is an interesting time to not only be in HR, but to also live in New York City. Prior to this, I started my career actually as a firefighter, paramedic, and hazardous materials technician, all three at once. And during that time frame, I had an opportunity to go work with Princess Cruise Lines as a medical officer. And very early on, uh, just a few weeks after starting, my supervisor at the time came to me and said, we need someone to manage our talent acquisition process for medical providers And what's unique about that is it wasn't just your standard interview process. I also had to clinically interview uh, folks on their clinical knowledge, I should say. And so it was an interesting role to begin with. And uh, what you and I had talked about is when I would would not be in Santa Clarita at the headquarters down there in California, I was traveling around the world on ships. And I had the privilege of hitting about 45 countries in two years. And while I was on the ship, I served as a medic until essentially I was able to replace myself uh, through my recruitment efforts. Yeah, that, I, I thought that was fascinating because uh, a lot of times on these shows, we as we talk to different HR practitioners, and I mentioned to you the other day, our sort of 
pre-show planning call that we did, you know, we've done thousands of these episodes of 50, almost 1500. Um, and one of the questions that come up up frequently is how did you get into HR? And a lot of times you hear an answer where somebody will say, well, I kind of fell into it. You know, it, it I, I, I intended to be a doctor or a lawyer and then, you know, I wound up doing HR or I was an engineer and I, I realized I didn't like numbers. So I started working with, you know, all that kind of stuff. You are, I think the first person that I've talked to who literally was doing the job they were trying to hire for. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty interesting twist. Um, just, just chat with us a little bit about that because that is that is a little unique. Like, how, how does it work when you're when you're filling that job and then you're trying to hi, you know hire your own replacement, so to speak? How do you kind of find the time to do it first of all, and what, how does it? How does it impact the, the uh, interview uh, process? Because it's, you know, nobody can give, give them a better perspective of the work than you, right? <laughs> yes, at least I, I hope so to any anyone that I hired during that time. Uh, I'll, I'll start at, at the beginning just briefly because I love this story. When I was a medic in the field for basically a few weeks, I heard the medical staff had just this interesting perspective of, land staff. There was always sea versus land kind of uh, fun rivalry. And there was always this caricature of the corporate office of they, they live this lavish lifestyle and all these things. And so when I arrived in LAX to do this job I had never done before, recruiting, and I was already nervous, the car service that picked me up from LAX to take me to the headquarters, they had uh, a mix-up. And instead of just sending a normal car to, you know, take a taxi, they sent a limo. And so when I got there, getting picked up to go work in the corporate office and a limo picks me up in the airport, I'm like, oh, my gosh, the, the caricature is true. The corporate office hmm. is totally disconnected from the field. And so uh, I, I quickly realized that it was a mistake on the car services part. And they, they got me there and, and they didn't charge Princess. So I don't want Princess to come after me for that story. But uh uh, it was a really interesting introduction. Uh, but when I got to the corporate office, it was there hadn't been really a clear-cut process put in place or a strategy around recruiting medical talent. And I very vividly remember having a conversation with Grant Tarlane, which is the chief currently the chief medical officer of Carnival Cruise Lines, so the whole corporate brand, I believe. And his concern was one making sure that the the ships were being staffed quickly that they were being staffed with a high quality talent and more importantly wanted to bring in people that he could retain and so it was the classic conundrum of all hiring managers is basically go find me these unicorns in the world and so uh, it was interesting to me I jumped right into it and when you're interviewing clinical staff it's, yes, there's a huge customer service piece, especially being on a cruise ship because you're dealing with people when they're on holiday. But also, some people fail to realize uh, how robust a medical center is on a ship. You have to find clinicians that can provide essentially critical care in a remote setting. When you're not on shore, you may be days from shore. You need a high-quality candidate. So it was an interesting first target uh, to hit and then um, just kicked it off and, and started going at it. Yeah. Let, let's talk about, I, I mean, I, I, I want to get to the, I know you, you know, the, I want to get to the ship, the, the illnesses on a ship in a bit, but for, for first, us a little bit more about that, I guess, from uh, the medical practitioner point of view, you're, I mean, you're, you're deal, you're, you're on a moving uh, vessel has no, you know, in many cases, no other alternative but the medical staff that's on the ship for like hours or days, right? And um, I mean, it's, it's a situation where if something goes wrong, it, it's really you're kind of on your own. Is that a correct statement? Incredibly accurate. It, it is a already very challenging environment clinically, and so fortunately, a lot of passengers never have to experience the medical center. So they, they don't even know it's there, uh, and which is a good thing. I would prefer it be that way. But medical centers on ships are essentially a urgent care 
on steroids. What you would find in any emergency room or most things that you would find in an emergency room or trauma center in the United States are actually in the medical center. And more importantly, the the paramedics uh, also basically had anything that I had on the ambulance I had with me, essentially at all Mm -hmm. times walking around the ship. Because a ship is a city of 5,000 people. And so that is a very decent-sized small city and anything that you have to be prepared for. So, yes, we did have emergencies. We had critical care cases that would come in, you know, heart attacks, strokes, uh, people dealing with flu or gastroenteritis, things of that nature. But one thing that I took great pride in, and I know Grant did as well, is you are the crew's primary care provider for their four- to ten-month contracts that they live on. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, so you're, you're sort dealing of like with an in-house clinic that some some employers may have in a manufacturing setting or something, which is usually an RN or something like that. But you you guys are a little more upskilled. But you're dealing how many crew members? It could be thousand fifteen hundred plus. It, it wow. was quite a large group of individuals. These are individuals from all around the world and at all age ranges and medical issues uh, that they presented with. And so a bulk of our time was actually caring for proactively uh, for the medical crew, including things like giving flu shots uh, to all 1,500 folks or running wellness clinics and running fitness programs. They, Princess Cruise Lines uh, did an amazing job or continues, I'm sure, to do an amazing job at their well-being of their crew. And, and I'm assuming that since you were on there as a paramedic, you were kind of a responder. If something was reported in a room or at the pool or whatever, you and probably some 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 colleagues would would respond to that. But I guess they probably have a physician on the ship as well. There is on some of the larger ships, like the Royal Princess. There are actually two physicians, four nurses, and two paramedics, and so there there's a pretty decent size medical team. We are available 24 seven. We had normal clinic hours, both breakfast, lunch, and dinner, essentially. And we also had, if you dialed 911 on the ship, you got a dispatcher and they would dispatch the medics. And we had a a whole slew of things that we dealt with. Uh, Some more comical than others where someone uh, took their scooter, went out of control, like their uh, scooter that you would just drive around on and it ran into a bunch of tables and, you know, flipped over all the tables and mm-hmm. gave some people bumps and screw, um, scrapes. And so that was an interesting one, but then you get more serious things where there's uh, slips and falls or uh, just occupational injuries. Because again, you got crew that are dealing with plumbing with knives in the kitchen and you're on a moving vessel. There's all sorts of things that you come across, anything you would come across in a normal city. Right, and it and it literally is a small city. Yeah, I I've only been on a cruise once, so and and it went perfect. So I never saw a medical professional or anyone that looked like one, and and never really thought about it, frankly. Although I I can certainly see why it would be important. Um, I want to talk a little bit. So I I know that you said when we had the call, I know you said you dealt with neurovirus, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I guess not as severe, but I it, similar in some ways, I I think to the coronavirus. Um, and, and, and at least in the way it would probably impact uh, sort of a contained, um, you know, area like on a ship. So um, I think you, you dealt with that a few years ago. Can you kind of describe, you know, that event and kind of what it what it entails? I don't want to I don't want to spend this whole show talking about medical, nor do I want to spend a lot of it talking about viruses. But I think that's just, you know, it's fascinating. And I, you know, I know nothing about it. So I'd love to hear, you know, some of the some of your experience in dealing with that and responding to it. Yeah. And I actually think it's a really good representation of how businesses normally handle ordinary, I would say in quotations, things like uh, the acute gastroenteritis or neurovirus and how the cruise lines had to respond to something unprecedented like COVID-19. And I'll start with, the gastroenteritis or uh, norovirus, as it's commonly referred to, Princess Cruise Lines had a and has an incredible public health team. They recognize that when you're in ships, 
just like you would be on dormitories in a campus. You have hundreds and thousands of people in close proximity touching a lot of the same touch points. And so the cruise lines actually go to extraordinary measures to prevent things like ordinary things that would come up like Corona or I'm sorry, uh, norovirus. And on the ship, things were monitored incredibly closely. And there would be certain stages where if norovirus was on the ship and we exhibited X amount of people with those symptoms, the amount of cleaning of touch points and other precautionary measures would go up exponentially. And so Mm -hmm. the cruise lines are actually uniquely prepared to deal with infectious disease and illness. And this is what they deal with every year for decades. And Mm -hmm. they were uh, experts in dealing with this and preventing this and had very close monitoring. And then COVID-19 came along and I'm sure all of us listening can empathize with, we just, we, there's certain things you can't be prepared for certain macro forces that just overtake us all. And unfortunately that happened with the ship. We saw that happen in real time. And uh, you, you had mentioned at the beginning, and I'm glad you corrected that I was not on the ship when it was quarantined because those medical professionals that were on the diamond princess are true heroes. It was, I'm sure a group of six people in, in a medical center, not designed to deal with a, virus that happens once every hundred years. And so they, I'm sure, have amazing stories to tell uh, on their heroism uh, getting through that crisis. And so I I wouldn't dare to to claim that status. But when COVID-19 hit the ships, they were, that was a good first representation of someone that is an expert at dealing with contagions like norovirus immediately succumbed to the COVID-19. And I think that was a canary in the coal mine for all of us uh, just weeks later where this took all of us by storm. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I want to do a quick reset, Taylor. And we also had one of a, uh, and I'm not sure which host it is. Um, Robin isn't with us. uh, So our, okay. So, so we have a couple of guests, guest cameos, I guess. They're, they're actually hosts, but they haven't been doing shows for a while. So <laughs> we've got Dwayne and Crystal. And uh, oh. Wade. hi. So so for Taylor's benefit, uh, Dwayne Lay and Crystal Miller Lay, husband and wife, and have been uh, hosts of the show as well. And um, they both live in St. Louis and sometimes in Dallas. And have, it's good to hear you guys. How are you doing? Oh, we're good, man. I, you know, living the quarantine dream. I don't know what to say. We are, uh, yeah, we're mostly we're mostly staying home and being together all the time, which is great. Uh, I am legally obligated to do say. Um, so it's good. And uh, you would think we'd have a lot more time to host shows, but as it turns out, things have kept us pretty busy. So uh, we're just glad to get to join and listen into this great conversation. Yeah, it's, 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 no, it's seriously. Go ahead. Yeah, it's seriously good to have you guys here. And uh, did you get a chance to hear Taylor's introduction, or did, do I need to kind of do a quick update for you? No, no, we we know, and that's one of the reasons I am so grateful to be on this show today. Thank you uh, so much for joining us. Well, well, feel free to or, to, to j- jump in whenever. Um, Taylor, be, before we before we move away from the COVID nineteen, I guess like so what? And 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 I think this leads into the, the balance of the conversation because what you have done. Um, that I found interesting is you've taken a number of learnings from the medical profession and uh, disrupt HR talk and have kind of created some formulas or, or models, or I don't know what word to say, but you have a number of things that you, that you, you translated from the medical profession to the HR field in terms of planning. And I'm, I want to get into those, those kind of tips and tricks, but before we do that, I'd, I, I would like to just kind of hear like, like, so like in that, in that type of a situation, and as you said, it's a hundred, or occurrence maybe like what do you do how, how do you respond to that what was the what you know what was the sort of the the plan that they had in place was there one or was it you know it was it um some was it more of a just react kind of like what it feels like we've been doing with the COVID-19 yeah I think corporate wise again I haven't been on the inside of that response because it, it worked for them but I would imagine uh, the first thing they did was activate their crisis response center 
the Crisis Response Center, which I, I don't know if I can say where it is. Uh, yeah, that's right. Is, incredibly robust and has anything that you would imagine at the headquarters of FEMA is also at the headquarters uh, or at their location, one of their offices, um, anything that you would have at FEMA, you would have there as far as access. And so they, I'm sure activated that Uh, princess when I was there did amazing uh, job at training for different types of drills, but really just responding to emergencies. And I'm sure they activated that system and they automatically will reallocate members of, let's say the HR team to help with the crisis response uh, while also kind of maintaining continuity of the business. But I'm sure they activated that as, as some of our organizations I'm sure did as well. It's just this again was something that you couldn't very, respond to effectively because it just a macro force to overwhelm us all. Uh, yeah. Now on the ship, the medical providers, and it is a segue into one of the things I've talked about is medical providers. You never know what your day is going to bring. When I was a medic and I would go on shift, either on the ship or in an ambulance, you never know what type of calls you're going to get. And it's impossible to train for every potential scenario that comes your way. So you actually just become a expert at problem solving. And that methodology I have called the, the medics method, uh, which is uh, I use the acronym ADP, which hopefully HR professionals can memorize pretty easily, but it's assess the situation, determine what the needs are and provide an outcome. And that is so helpful in any situation you come across because you may not be an expert in cutting a car apart, that can be a part of the determine the needs is you recognize I need to call the rescue team in because they need to help me provide this outcome so I can get to a patient. So just running through that methodology, every scene that I was on, including on the ship was an incredibly helpful way for me to just parse out what the situation was and how I could effectively either get help to respond or provide help myself. Awesome. So that was one of the that was one of the first tips. Now let's talk. Let's start this, I guess, by talking about your your disrupt HR talk. Um, I think you did that sometime in the last year. I may have that date slightly off. Just tell us kind of what yeah. the talk was, and you know, kind of what your five minute high uh, high learn high thought level was. Yeah. High level thought. So, Sorry. Disrupt HR is a fantastic organization. They have a unique format where. You have five minutes to present a topic, and your slides change automatically every 15 seconds. So a lot of practice goes into that. Uh, But I talked about the medics method, which I just went through, and how how I applied that to being a clinician, but then how I applied it to being an HR. Because HR, I feel, is very similar, a a different skill set, but very similar to being a medic, is you come into the office, and you could have your – Google Calendar, totally planned out. It's a beautiful box of Tetris. Uh, and then one thing changes everything. And you have to respond to that. It, it may not have been the problem you created, but it is your problem to solve now on behalf of your client group or your peers. And so to me, again, the same medics method, assess the situation, determine the need, provide an outcome, I use every day as a business partner. Awesome. Now, Dwayne and Crystal, you guys don't have perfectly planned Google calendars that you you look view as Tetris games, do you? <laughs> so I will uh, I'll refer back to one of my very favorite authors, uh, Douglas Adams. I think of his comment about um, deadlines when you talk about planning. And he said, "I love deadlines. I like the whooshing sound they make when they go past." And I I say the same about things that are on my calendar. Um, I have a, a very brightly colored Google calendar where you'll see stuff all day long on there. Uh, and I, and I love the whooshing sound they make when I forget about meetings. Um, and, and people ask me five minutes in, Hey, are you still joining? And I'm like, I'm totally, I got a, got a zoom problem and uh, I'll yeah. be right there. <laughs> I know that. So so I still that's have another realm of problems that people are dealing with today. We had a guest on last week. His name was Jennifer and, I referenced a hashtag from that was hashtag poor Jennifer, and it wasn't the Jennifer that I had on the line. 
but it was a lady that took her computer into the bathroom on a Zoom meeting and apparently broadcast everything. <laughs> oh, that is so bad. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't know if it was real or not, but that was that was trending on Twitter last Thursday. It was real. I saw <laughs> the video, and it was horrifying. But, um, yeah, no. So I still, I'm, the, I'm the one with my calendar that I still have my workout sessions from 2013 that I probably should go through on my calendar. <laughs> did, you get, did you actually do the workout, or are you that far backlogged that you're still trying to catch up? I'm that far backlogged. So. Okay. <laughs> I, I will say. All right. I, I so, will Taylor, as, as you can as see, uh, yeah, Dwayne is actually a lean, lean, you know, if, if you're familiar with lean techniques, Dwayne is actually trained in that, but it, it doesn't sound like it's working real well right now. So. Well, I was going to say the beauty of having it on the calendar like that. Um, so I've combined the Google Calendar with the Calendly uh, integration with a link to my email. Mm. So from a lean perspective, I don't have to have a lot of conversations of when I can have meetings. Like people are just linked to my calendar. They can go see what's open and they can book something. So yeah. The Google Calendar is great for that kind of thing. So as an HR practitioner, um, that was one of the things I learned early on was control your calendar or everyone else will. So it sounds like <laughs> practice lean and scheduling your calendar and then ignore lean in the execution of it. <laughs> so, so Dwayne and Crystal, before we before I go on to a couple other a uh, couple of the other sort of. Uh, professional maxims or I don't know what right word to call them, the little formulas that, that uh, Taylor has put together. Did you guys have any questions for him at this point or should I carry on? No, I think carry on. I mean, like we're, I'm just soaking it in. Um, there's, I mean, there's a ton of stuff that I could ask you and I think we could be here all day, but, but I want to hear, I really want to get to these formulas that you're talking about. I think that's a really useful thing for our audience and I'll probably have questions around that. Cool. I've been told um, to defer to her on everything she wants. So <laughs> that, that's your that's your that's your professional training, Dwayne. Is just defer to Chris. Yeah. All right. It's reasonable. That's my mantra. It's, All right. It's awesome. Advice. So 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 Taylor, just so you know, since Robin was on at the, the beginning, this is what functions as witty banter between hosts on Drive <laughs> <laughs> um, I love it. I'm learning a lot. Yeah, so it's not uh, it's not scripted, and you never know who's going to show up. That kind of stuff. So you had another one um, that you that you referred to as crisis management versus operational continuity. So let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, one of the things that I remember is responding to a fire station when there was a fire in our district, and this fire in particular was pretty bad. Um, common misnomer out there. And fire structure fires happen very rarely nowadays due to fire codes and improvements in them over the years. And so when fires happen, of course, every firefighter uh, at the department, uh, especially volunteer ones, will, will all respond to see how we can help. And I got to the fire station and got in one of the ambulances with my partner, and we called to the chief and said, we're available. Would you like us to come to the scene? And the chief had responded no, you know, please stay at the station. Uh, we have enough folks here to handle this situation. And, and that was tough. And that, uh, the purpose of that, to keep us at the station, was that if anyone else in our community called 911 for any reason, that we could still respond to those needs in the community. Because although there's a huge fire happening in the community somewhere, that doesn't mean other problems won't crop up as well. And that's how I break down crisis management versus operational continuity. And my fire chief did an amazing job at balancing those because they do need to be in balance at all times to be effective or as best they can. So the crisis management was the fire chief on the scene. He was managing that crisis, that fire. They had the appropriate resources there to handle that and everything that they needed. But he also recognized that he needed to maintain operational continuity for the community so that if anyone called 911 that they could trust that another ambulance would respond or another fire truck would respond. And that's tough sometimes. That, that is really difficult, especially for firefighters and medics to wait at the firehouse. Uh, but I think sometimes that's some of the most courageous things that you can do is that's the best way you can serve your community is by staging at the firehouse and not just going to the fire because you want to. 
And I see that happening in business right now, excuse me, in, right now in business, is that there's a crisis. There is COVID-19, which is not something in modern history that has, especially at the same time, or causing an economic crisis. So a healthcare crisis and economic crisis have hit at the exact same time, unprecedented in the past century. And that's a crisis. So businesses have to respond to that by how are we going to effectively respond to this crisis. But they also need to balance the operational continuity of the business. And so some things that I've seen uh, HR teams doing is reallocating some HR resources that ordinarily would be doing trainings or something like that to maybe help on the crisis task force or the crisis working group about how is our organization going to respond to COVID-19. But then there's still business partners that are allocated to the everyday things that happen in the business. Anything from someone needs to change uh, their address to just regular employee relation issues, like the business must go on. And if there's an imbalance in that, it can cause, if there's an overemphasis on the crisis management uh, and not enough people maintaining the business, then the business is vulnerable to failure or to other problems, which may worsen the crisis that we're already trying to face. So it's trying to balance those. And I understand that that can sound utopic at times because some people I'm sure are listening, especially at startups with HR teams. How do I do that? I don't have a big well, enough team. So Go ahead. if you don't mind, can, can I hop in here real quick? I think Please. So what you're saying makes total sense to me. Um, you know, when, when the stuff with COVID started, we started having conversations with clients and with other people about, like, what are your comp plans, continuity of business, and, and what does that look like specifically for your people departments in, in HR and TA and um, employee communications? Like, what does it look like? And what we found is a lot of companies, like, they don't have a plan B. They don't have a continuity of business plan. They're not, they're not prepared. So when this crisis hits, like, it's, all very reactive and yeah. so like to do what you're talking about it sounds like step a would would be like you've got to plan this out before you need it well before you need it mitigation strategies only work when they're done in advance <laughs> that, is that is so true that is so true the reason that firefighters and paramedics and emergency room nurses and physicians are also calm in the midst of emergency is because they master their craft. They train so much beforehand on how to solve problems, how to respond to different types of situations, how to adapt, how to be agile, that when the crisis does hit, they're prepared. And you are so spot on. Organizations that have not even remotely thought of succession planning or continuity of business, uh, it's difficult to plan for a once in a century uh, event. So like that sure. maybe not effective use of time, but if they didn't do any kind of planning at all or training or had an agile team to begin with or a team that are willing to adapt to change, they are, I'm sure, caught flat-footed right now. So the other thing that I think is an interesting phenomenon, and I've seen this in obviously not in this situation in the past, but dealing with um, succession planning and dealing with some continuity business things is when you do have the foresight to build that plan and then things go haywire, like there are people, and and a lot of times it's our executive leadership, who they feel that they need to solve the problems and they want to step in and they want to take charge and they want to rally the troops and they want to go do all the things to prove their leadership. And a lot of times it's HR leadership who be like, wait, wait, we actually have a plan for this. Like we don't have to cowboy up on this thing. We know what we're supposed to do. And succession planning is the place that you brought that up where I see that fall apart the most. Somebody leaves and it's like, we have to go do X, Y, Z. It's like, but wait, we, we have a plan for this. Like we know who the best backfill is. Well, yeah, but I've decided we're going to do X, Y, Z. Like it's really hard especially for HR people who, who want to, they want to serve, right? They want to step in and try to make life better for folks. Like, yeah, we don't, we don't need everyone to like throw everything to the wind and go, you know, try to solve every problem. We have a plan, follow the plan. It'll be okay. Even something as out of left field as what we're dealing with now. So Taylor, can I ask you a question? Please. Yeah. Okay. I was hoping I was the answer to that for, was going to be yes. I was waiting for a no. Right? Okay. It's, always, it's always a gamble. <laughs> so you, you, 
I, you made a comment about like uh, that it's it's hard to be prepared for this like once in a hundred year thing, and I agree with that. I, I think it's a little bit unrealistic to spend your time saying let me figure out how to plan for a pandemic because most of us, you know, don't go through very many of those. But you know, this isn't the only um, epidemic that likely that businesses will deal with. Um, hopefully, we never deal with one again on this scale in our lifetimes. But if you have that plan to begin with. How easy is it to scale up? Like if you were prepared for SARS, could you take your SARS plan and then, you know, blow it up to be able to deal with COVID or something like COVID-esque? Or is that really unrealistic? I I just, I want to make sure that we're not setting HR professionals up to think like they're, they're wrong for not having anything at all. But at the same time, even if they did, it wouldn't be any good. Yeah. Both your points are, very important to make is if you have an executive team that the first thing they do in crisis is throw the playbook out the window, then either get the initiative and buy-in you need to to have the playbook stay on the table or don't put effort into making the playbook to begin with. And that is an incredibly difficult situation to be in. But one approach, and I'm waiting for it, I'm waiting to get the emails about here's the webinar for planning for the next pandemic. Uh, you know, the next 100-year virus, that I think is not the ideal approach. To your point, I think the ideal approach here is building the muscle memory around agility in a business. Because like Princess on the ships, they had some of the best plans in the world around responses to emergencies and to infectious disease like this, but we're immediately overwhelmed. And that's not, I'm sure, not because they threw the playbook out the window. It's just that you can't necessarily respond. However, when I was at Princess, one of the biggest things in the medical unit was the ability to adapt to circumstances as they came along. And so part of one of the acronyms, uh, and mentioned you wanted to hear a couple more, that I, I tied into was something that I learned when I was getting my CPR card many years ago is the acronym that they use for the general public is CAB, which stands for compression airway breathing. And the reason they did compression first is they had found the research that if they had airway and breathing first, because it used to be ABC, that individuals would be less likely to provide CPR out in the general public because they didn't want to have to give mouth to mouth. So instead they right. did some flipping around and made compressions and found it much more effective. And I thought, what, what is the crucial pitch about being a business partner for the business? And I came up with culture. Uh, your people are, are the most important function of your business because without it, the playbook doesn't matter. If you don't have the people there and the trusted people with the right experience. But then the second one is agility. Agility in crisis and I'm not talking about like agile framework versus lean, but the ability to adapt and have an organization that is confronted with this crisis and say, okay, let's look at the playbook. Let's see what tools that we have in our chest. How can we start implementing these right away? How do we start adapting to this situation? Uh, We'll be better prepared to weather the storm. I'm not going to say overcome because like princess, they, they shut down, I believe business operations for two months. Um, so they didn't necessarily overcome it, but they are doing their best to weather the storm. And then the final piece is balance sheets. And one of the books I reread over the weekend was Stress Test by Timothy Geithner. And in it, he, he, in, that book is about going through the financial crisis. And in it, he quotes Warren Buffett that, uh, and I'm, I might be paraphrasing, so only quote me if I'm right here. But uh, one of the things that Warren Buffett had mentioned is that when the tide recedes, you can see who's swimming naked. And Mm. that is the environment that I believe we're in now. The tide has receded. And those organizations that haven't done pre-planning, that haven't had training with managers on how to lead people through change, not crisis necessarily, not through a pandemic, but how to lead them people through change, how to have a learning organization, and how to utilize appropriately succession planning and things like that, may not weather this storm. And the balance sheets being the final piece too, what we learned in 2008, which we had seemed to have forgotten pretty quickly, 
is businesses that are over leveraged or not financially sound uh, accidentally fail during this crisis. This wasn't inherently a financial crisis at its start, but these businesses, we may see a lot of failures in business over the next two quarters. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, while you were while you were talking about you know sort of the medical equivalencies into HR, it, it occurs to me that one of the things that I've seen a lot of companies doing, you know, because everything is kind of every day you get up, it's a new day. You know, the, there's a new law passed, a sweeping two trillion dollar bill that they just you know put out in three days or whatever, and has all kinds of labels and agencies are going crazy. So there's there's a lot of elements of what I, I think it would be uh, triage to to kind of practice. HR right now does that does that make sense to you Taylor? It does. <laughs> so <laughs> one of the things that I'm finding in this crisis in this time is you have to start triaging your time and your bandwidth. You need to look at what what can be on hold for now, even if it was going perfectly according to your year long plan of when you were going to do an employee survey or something along those lines. Uh, you need to make sure that you're using your time appropriately. And more importantly, one of the other things that you and I had talked about in the pre-brief here is the idea of me, us, them. And what me, us, them is, is is a common saying in the fire service that you first have to take care of yourself before you can take care of your team. You have to consider the needs of your team and take care of them before you can take care of others. And one thing that is so important about triaging your time and your bandwidth to make sure you can have the most effect is so that you're not working 16-hour days, seven days a week. Because if you fail because of health issues and things like that, and, and I unfortunately have done that in my career, I, I was pushing myself 100-hour weeks for several months at a time, and I ended up with ulcers in the hospital at my age 22. Uh, and so I didn't take care of myself. And, and during that time, I wasn't able to take care of my team and I wasn't able to take care of my business. And so that triaging your time, triaging your bandwidth to the most vital things at that particular moment in time, especially right now, is so important because, again, if you fail uh, personally as far as your health or your well-being, you're not going to be able to provide any uh, value to your client groups and support your team during that time. Right. Go ahead, Crystal. Oh, no, no, I'm, just, I'm agreeing. Sorry, that's, oh, that's you're what just, I had. Okay, I'm clear. Yeah. <laughs> so so a, couple, a couple rapid fire things, because uh, th- these shows are not strictly scripted. I told you the other day, Taylor, we were, last week we did about 30 minutes with the guest and about 30 minutes of call-in. Um, we're like almost on 45 minutes with you, but it's been fascinating conversation. Two other quick questions for you, maybe three. One is you're in New York is is a hot spot. I guess maybe it's getting a little better, but I'm not sure. And it's hard to tell because we don't have, you know, good trends. What's it like there right now from your perspective? Everybody, is the city really, I saw a picture in Chicago of a coyote walking down the middle of Michigan (laughs) Avenue. I don't know if it was real, but somebody posted it. Well, it's a standard black dog coyote. (laughs) It was what? Wiley coyote? (laughs) Sorry, I haven't Taylor. seen uh, – it, it, no, it's all good. I haven't seen any coyotes, which thankfully – but the, the city compared to what the normal hustle and bustle is, is I, I would say deserted. Uh, I, I've noticed uh, one unique thing about living in New York is when you live in a high-rise, you see all the other high-rises across the way, and uh, I'm seeing so many less people. It looks like a lot of people had left the city uh, weeks ago. It's still a city of 8 million people, so you still see some people walking. Uh, but from the ordinary day-to-day, it's still very deserted. Um, I personally have not seen some of the things that the news is showing or reporting. I'm sure that there's hot spots around the hospital. I, I believe that there's a field hospital in Central Park, which it just is unimaginable. Um, but at the same time, uh, I, I moved to New York City in uh, late last year, and I would not want to be in any other city than New York City. I, I believe the people here are just so incredibly strong, and it seems that we've all kind of band together uh, in this time. And then you had another sort of another uh, arc of your career where you did some work in South Africa. Is that am I remembering correctly? Yes. 
So actually, one of my I just wonder if you could speak about that for a moment. Yeah, one of my best accomplishments in my career was at Princess Cruise Lines, where I met the most beautiful and smart woman I have ever met, and somehow tricked her or convinced her to marry me. And we've been married uh, for several years now. And she is from South Africa. And uh, she lives with me here now, but uh, we had spent a lot of time in South Africa. And when I worked at Remote Medical International, I went to South Africa to do a couple of our, what we called RMI Live. It was like my outreach strategy for recruitment, but we didn't have a budget because it was a startup. So I did it all on my iPhone. Um, but uh, we went to South Africa, and I went around to different communities to see what their hospitals were like, to meet their clinicians, to go to where paramedics were trained, to get the understanding of the training. And South Africa has some of the best clinicians in the world. They're severely constrained on budget, so they don't have the same technology and things we do, but the, the level of skill those clinicians have is unreal. Awesome. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I think that's it other than I, uh, I hope you'll stay with us until we end at nine, about another 15 minutes. Um, sure. But be, I'm going to ask you to tell folks where they can find you uh, if they're interested in contacting you or adding you on to Twitter or wherever you may be. So if you could just share that with our listeners, that would be great. Yes. So today I actually spent some time putting together just a, a quick little website you can visit uh, er2hr.com and the two is a uh, numeric two so er2hr.com and there you can find all of the recent talks I've given and some other material around what we talked about awesome um, okay so uh, we have Wayne and Crystal for the first time in a long time so we already got a quick update but like seriously what what's going on with you guys these and um, it's kind of, I mean, you know, from like Crystal, from a from a branding perspective, how are people dealing with this mess? And just, I'm just curious, you know, I just like to catch up with you guys if you have a few minutes. Of course, that's why we're here, man. We're and here. <laughs> and if anyone's listening live and wants to call in, feel free to do so. This is number five one six three eight seven nineteen sixty eight. So we'll be on till nine o'clock. So anyway, who wants to go first? Uh, I guess I will since you invoked my name. <laughs> yeah. That sounded wrong. <laughs> I heard, I heard um, the rule that Dwayne, Dwayne mentioned. I heard it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Different me all things. Um, no, so, so from a branding perspective, I mean, I think that there are some companies that are doing some phenomenal work right now in terms of, this is going to sound so jaded because it's a business thing, in terms of branded uh, branding and PR, like being able to, um, recognize this for what it is. It's, it is an opportunity to help a lot of people. It's a horrible thing. We wouldn't wish it on anyone and, and right. obviously wouldn't want to be going through it, but it's where we are. So you can make the most of it, I think, by looking at how do we um, act in a way that's humane towards our fellow people and the companies that are doing a good job of that are reaping the benefits in earned media and, and public relations, which are great. And the companies that are using it as an opportunity to sell stuff are really finding out that that doesn't work. And so, um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's going to stop their automated marketing messages, but uh, it, it's just not a, you know, you can't capitalize on people's pain and grief and, and, and misfortune and think that's going to go anywhere well for you. Some companies are trying it and they're getting hit pretty hard in the media. So, so there's, there's that part of it. There are a lot of companies, though, that just don't know what to do, so they're not doing anything at all, right? They're not talking. They're not speaking. They're not sharing employee stories. I think that's a real missed opportunity um, because their employees are living all of this, but so are all of their candidates. And so being able to bring them together and just looking at marketing messaging, from a, whether it's recruitment, consumer, or otherwise, as an opportunity to bring people together and allow them to feel safe to talk about where they are, not about your job, not about how great you are as a company, just talk about their lives by being able to share your employees' lives. That's, I think that's kind of really where you need to go right now. Yeah. I mean, I've heard some, you know, some of the bad, bad moves, I guess I'll put quotations around that 
because who knows what the economics are and what, you know, what drives these kind of decisions. But, you know, I've, you know, the people that got furloughed their, their workforce prior to April 1st, um, you know, because it, it didn't kick in the, the, the new leave requirements under the law are getting a lot of grief. And, you know, it's, it's a huge expense um, with no income for many of these companies. Um, another thing I saw was, um, uh, leadership declaring, you know, pay cuts, 20%, 50% pay cuts or cutting hours down from 40 to 20 or whatever, even for some salaried employees. And it's just enough to keep those people from drawing unemployment, you know, so they're making very, what may be very, you know, financially driven, pragmatic decisions, but they're, they don't look great. So, and then there's other companies, you know, that are, are hiring like crazy to tra- the essential, the essential employees, you know, hiring like crazy to try to keep things the wheels on. So it's a, it's a very big dichotomy. Um, do you have any thoughts there, Crystal, about how, how a company might, like, I guess I said something last week about like people should try to do as much as they can in a positive way, given the resources they have. And that, you know, that's a very wide formula, right? Cause every situation is different. Yeah. I think when you're, when you're talking about essential workers and if I'm not answering your question correctly, or I'm not asking, yeah, no, answering the question you asked, let me know. But I think when you're talking about, essential workers, a company has an obligation first and foremost to make sure that their people are safe. And it really doesn't matter what industry you work in. Um, One of our clients, when this all started, uh, immediately stopped interviewing, like just period, uh, because they're in the manufacturing business and they they can't risk um, the quality quality issues, right, that comes with bringing people in that you don't know who they are. But more, more importantly, they're like, we have an obligation to make sure that our employees leave as they came, that they're as safe exiting our property as they were coming onto it. And so, you know, I, I respect that. I think that's really the mindset that all companies should take. So it doesn't really matter what business you're in, first do no harm. Um, and Domino's is a great example of an organization that I think is trying at least to make sure that their employees are safe, um, which is pretty cool. Um, the food service industry has been hit really hard, but, um, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, you've got, I think the worst offenders right now are actually construction companies. That mm-hmm. They're not observing social distancing. They're not observing personal protective equipment. Not, I'm not going to say all of them, right, but there is a large number of them that are just not observing any of the safety um, guidelines that come with trying to keep your employees safe. And, you know, there may not be anything that these employees can do about it today, but we're not going to stay in this position. So what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for massive amounts of attrition in, you know, 6, 12, 18 months, whatever it takes to pull out of this. But that memory will stay. People mm-hmm. don't forget. People who make them unsafe. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Taylor, I don't know if so, you have any thoughts. Dwayne? Well, so so I wanted to give kind of a, a, a more, I don't say a more positive spin, but but a positive spin on kind of what we're going through. Um, so, you know, Crystal and I both have a lot of experience working remotely and we, you know, have used almost all the different web meeting platforms. And one of the things I've noticed over the last two weeks is that a lot of my clients uh, and people that I've worked with for several years are now all working from home and they're all working from home with their families. Many of them not in a home that's set up for working remotely. They're at the kitchen table or whatever. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone's dog come in, heard their kids come in. Um, Andrew Godomsky tells a story about being on a video conference and his daughter's coming in going, hey, mommy said you need to buy me this game on my iPad. And you said when mommy's home, she's in charge. So you need to do this while he's having a video conference with clients. And there's more and more of that happening. And I keep not just hearing stories, but like being part of these stories and hearing it from people. And my hope is that as we come out the other side of this, if it's our coworkers, our clients, our vendors, whomever, that we'll remember those moments and we'll start back on the path of really humanizing each other and realizing that the person on the other end of the phone, like they're not just a business contact, like they're a person and they're dealing with their family and they're dealing with, you know, whatever else has been thrown at them that morning, that afternoon, that week, that month, that year. Um, And that, that maybe this will stick a little bit. Maybe we'll reconnect with each other from a, from a human standpoint as a society. So I'm hoping that we maybe take something positive away from all this. One wants to be hopeful. One wants to be hopeful. <laughs> yeah, we, we 
do. And it, some days it's, some days, you know, it doesn't take much to try to find a ray of sunshine. And the other days it's like, Oh my God, this has to end now, you know? Um, <laughs> so Taylor, are you, do you work, are you, are you sheltering in place in New York city? Is that, is that the current situation you're under or do you go to the office at all? Uh, I am still sheltering in place, and uh, again, another unsung hero is my wife, putting up with me for three weeks, uh, being stuck in an apartment, uh, so she, I give her tons of credit, but no, we, we've been sheltering in place, and uh, I'd also like to echo, too, that I am incredibly hopeful of some of the things that will, positive things that will come out of this uh, related to the world of HR is the, Mm -hmm. I hope the the opening up of uh, willingness to have remote employees and go to where the talent is in the world and just take another look at maybe we loosen restrictions on bereavement leave and not just immediate families. I believe rent the runway has a, a trust based model with their employees to say, if you ever need bereavement leave for any reason, let's say your, your pet died or, uh, your cousin that you're incredibly close with dies, uh, you know, you use bereavement leave. We trust that the organization is going to make the right decisions around that. And if we see tons of issues, you know, we'll, we'll address it then. Uh, but I'm interested to see how we become more uh, adaptive as a workplace. And I, I definitely echo what you're saying there. I, I am very incredibly helpful for that. I, I don't want to make policy in the midst of a crisis, but I, I do think as we emerge from this, we should take a look at some of those various things. I, I, I don't disagree. We have about just under four minutes left. Um, so first of all, I, I, it, it's great to hear uh, Crystal and Dwayne. It's great to hear your voices. Um, we're going to do another show next week, I believe. We haven't confirmed exactly yet, but I think we're going to have John Hyman, the, the lawyer out of Cleveland on. Uh, from awesome. Ohio Law Blog or whatever. Yeah, he's uh, been a he's been a a house on fire with keeping up with all the new pros um, and cons of all the new legislation and stuff. And you know he does some other pretty cool work too around you know the bad bad acting employer list and all that kind of stuff. So I'm gonna have him on next week. So maybe you guys can jump on for that, assuming we get it confirmed. And uh, Taylor, I yeah. want to thank you for coming on, coming on and and sharing uh, a very interesting kind of different version of the normal HR career. I thought it was uh, fascinating. I appreciate you doing it. Um, and then there's a big burning issue that, that that's come out of the White House today and yesterday. And I, and I want to close with that. And that is that, that uh, Donald Trump Jr. Uh, believes that uh, Joe Exotic was treated too aggressively in his sentencing. And now, oh, now Donald... Uh, yeah, you know, because that's like, that's the, that's the kind of... Uh, well, I'm, my boss is listening to the show. That's kind of crap that we should be thinking about right now. And now, thank goodness, Donald Trump Sr., uh, or otherwise known as President Trump, has decided that he will look into the matter. So um, should, wow. uh, should Donald, should President Trump pardon Joe Exotic or not? Pros, cons? Can I tell you that happening? that's what he's spending his time on right now? Like, I'm going to lose my Jesus. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, that goes back. Line off the Daily Dot. I'm not sure exactly how reputable that site that site is. The headline is Trump says he will look into the Joe Exotic situation. Usually means there's a party so, coming. Or so I'm just gonna say this. I think the fact that that's a totally credible story and something that 100% could be happening right now is everything mm-hmm. you need to know about this <laughs> racist. Administration corrupt administration. Okay. Taylor, you have any opinion on the Joe Exotic question or do you want to bow out? <laughs> no, I, I would say when we go back to our uh, part of our conversation where we talked about triaging your time effectively in the moment of crisis, uh, I, I would encourage everyone to, to listen to this podcast and, and soak that moment in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, everyone, it was great to, uh, I'm going to go ahead and end the show and it will go live in about two minutes, Taylor. So I'll send you the link your way. Okay. I appreciate it. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks all. Thanks. Bye.
Bye, all. Bye. Thank you. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.